Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning. Today is Tuesday, April 28th. Welcome to the Muni Lowdown. Today, we've got a couple of stories we're going to, we'll be discussing. First off, Kathleen O'Donnell from Harrisburg, PA, will be talking about what's going on in the high-yield market. Her story last week indicated some skepticism regarding trading levels for some bonds, and she'll tell us what's going on there. And then we'll have Kaylin Devitt in Chicago and Greg Clark, head of municipal research. And they'll be discussing the comments made last week by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky who suggested that states should be allowed to file for bankruptcy. As our listeners know, states are not allowed to file for bankruptcy, unlike cities. The comments caused a stir in Miniland. So both Greg and Caitlin wrote pieces about it, and they'll be going to talk about it a little bit more. So Kathy O'Dato in Harrisburg, PA, how are you? Doing pretty well, Young. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, staying sane, but we all That's should be, good. hopefully. That's good. And how, how are you and the dog? The dog is doing pretty well. The dog, I have to say, has not been coping as well in lockdown as I have been, to be quite honest. <laughs> but but compared to some people, we are all doing very, very well. Thank you for asking. Hope all is good with your yes, family. Yes, too. thank you. And it's now it, first they said a tiger at the Bronx Zoo was tested positive for COVID, then cats, now a dog. Oh, my God. You better watch out. Not good. My dog's not a good patient, so I would not look forward to that for sure. Yeah, you have to uh, socially distance, I guess, six have a six-feet leash when you take out your dog for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. For sure. So, Kathy, let's talk about what's going on in the high-yield mini market. Uh, your story last week indicated some skepticism regarding trading levels for some bonds. Tell us what's going on there. Sure, Young. As you know, um, there was kind of that big sell-off in the mini market around late March. And as Tom Doe of Municipal Market Analytics said to me around that time, the price of liquidity in the municipal market can at times be extraordinarily high. And there's a sense, I believe, that the high-yield market really hasn't shaken out to the degree that it should. And two of the names um, that I've heard about, especially in that regard, were the Florida Development Finance Corp's Virgin Trains USA Passenger Rail Project, which people would probably know uh, better as Brightline, and the American Dream Project in New Jersey. And I've had people say to me that both of those issues seem to be trading at surprisingly resilient levels given the coronavirus's impact. And uh, both of those projects are currently uh, shut down temporarily at least. So you've been talking to, the, to those people. What were your sources telling you? Well, they had some concerns that the trades didn't reflect reality. For example, some bonds related to the Brightline project, uh, the six and a half due in 2049, were cited to me. Uh, so I asked bond market veteran J.R. Rieger of the Rieger Report to take a look. And he described the trades to me as worrisome for the municipal bond market um, from the standpoint of reputational risk. Um, and he, what he said was that seeing consecutive multi-million dollar blocks of trade, of bonds trade from one customer to another customer at such tight spreads uh, signaled to him that those bonds weren't out for the bid, um, but instead possibly 
uh, we're part of uh, prearranged trades to support a certain price level. At least that's what, you know, looking at the those trades indicated to him. So then let me ask you, so it's not really a true test of value then? Correct. At least it would appear that way. Um, one source mentioned to me uh, that there's very limited price discovery right now in high-yield munis. And um, he said the lack of clarity, which goes well beyond those two names, brings up the potential for a lot of high-yield muni fund NAVs or net asset values uh, to be inflated. Um, and the, of course, the NAV is the per share value of a fund, which is uh, calculated by subtracting its liabilities from the current market value of its assets and dividing by the number of shares outstanding. Um, and mutual funds have to calculate NAVs at least once a day when the markets are open. So you can see why it's important to have confidence that the trading level is an accurate representation of the bond's value. Hmm. Uh, I got one last question for you, Kathy. And you mentioned earlier about the, the Virgin Trains rail project, which is, like you said, people know it's Brightline. What about American Dream? I've heard some skepticism expressed about those bonds um, trading around 95. They had traded, you know, well above 119 back in September, but then they dropped uh, pretty sharply on, I think, March 18th, if I recall. However, the last trade was around 95, which some folks thought was a pretty strong level, given that the American Dream Entertainment and Retail Project is something that depends on people gathering in large crowds. And that is something people might not be inclined to do for 18 months or two years or however long it takes for us to get a vaccine. Uh, and also yesterday, uh, Morris Adobe, a debt choir colleague here, um, has had some good stories regarding Mall of America. And she reported that uh, 555's Mall of America uh, is in debt relief talks with lenders, um, and she cited a mall spokesman there. And, as, of course, as you know, um, you know, 555 is also the developer uh, for the American Dream Project. Um, and the American Dream Project has a construction loan that is secured by, I believe, a 49% interest in Mall of America and a 49% interest in the West Edmonton Mall, which is also a 555 property. So you know, that is a concern, um, clearly. Um, it's, it's certainly very, very difficult. The Grimagian family uh, has been quite successful over the years, but these are unprecedented times, as you can imagine. So uh, that is a bit of a concern. So this high-yield um, price discovery issue is definitely a story I'll be following. And if anyone out there in Muniland has some insights to share, you know, I'm all ears and I'm available uh, via, my, via my DebtWire email, which is Kathleen, that's K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, dot o'donnell o-d-o-n-n-e-l-l at accurus a-c-u-r-i-s dot com or of course via twitter at kathy od munis all right that's it was a great story uh kathy and got a lot of traction like you said it's it's a it seems like almost the american dream is more like a curse now uh it's been developed in so many years delayed and then it finally opened only to have the pandemic hit and i might have been one of the last ones to go before they closed down that's right. I know. And your kids did the, the big snow, did they? Did they go skiing? Yes. Or? Yes. We went uh, skiing inside. It's a nice place. It's it's big. It's expansive. And even back then, since only f a few phases were open, it felt like people were socially distancing back then because none of the retail stores were open except for one sugar land, just all candy. Otherwise, it's mm -hmm. a big open space. And I could see the water park and the amusement park. But my God, it's just amazing how it's literally a ghost town now.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly you wonder if it is somehow cursed because it has certainly had a very, very long history to getting to this point. And then to have this happen is um, something I think that very few people could have imagined. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something we'll be watching closely for sure. Yes, definitely. And um, But Kathy, thank you so much for your work. Great story. And we hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Young. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Good morning, Kaylin and Greg. How are you two? Good. How are you? Morning, Young. So Kaylin's in Chicago and Greg's somewhere in New York State. I think it feels like where's Waldo? We've got to like find him somewhere. I'm, okay. I'm at an undisclosed location. <laughs> got your underground bunker? That's right. Ready for the nuclear war? Oh, let's, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yes. <laughs> so... Last week, as we know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican from Kentucky, suggested that states should be allowed to file for bankruptcy. As most of our listeners know, states are not allowed to file for bankruptcy. The comments caused a huge stir in Muniland. So Greg Clark, who is our head of research and reporter, senior reporter, Kaylin Devitt, both wrote pieces about it. And they're going to talk about it a little bit more. So Kaylin, why don't you start by telling us the actual comment uh, he made and the context of it? Sure. Well, he was talking with a local Kentucky radio conservative radio host and the and the radio host was sort of pushing him a little bit on the topic. And the direct quote is, yeah, I would certainly be in favor of allowing states to use the bankruptcy route. It saves some cities and there's no good reason for it not to be available. My guess is their first choice would be for the federal government to borrow money from future generations to send it down to them now so they don't have to do that. That's not something I'm going to be in favor of, unquote. So that was the quote. And the context was really um, the context is really about the negotiation over state, the, the amount of federal aid that state and local governments are going to get in the upcoming corona in the new 5.0 coronavirus package that um, Congress is going to start hammering out next week. So that's sort of the context of what he was talking about. He's it's worth noting also he's since kind of I you know backed off it a little bit said he didn't really think that that is something that states would do um, and that that he is in favor of some aid and so he sort of softened his position, so to speak, on that since he made the comments. Caitlin, as I recall, uh, one of your uh, state legislators there uh, uh, had probably had a role in, uh, in uh, prompting uh, Senator McConnell to make the comments that he made. Yes, yeah, Senate President Don Harmon, a Democrat um, here in Illinois, the new Senate president, actually, he sent a letter to the congressional delegation asking for $41 billion. $10 billion of that would go for pensions. So that letter was leaked and caused a big stir as, um, as requests for federal aid from states like Illinois are going to do. As I recall, uh, the governor did not come to uh, the, uh, the senator's request. Am I right? Yeah, he didn't, you know, he didn't. He wasn't on the letter. He didn't support it. He talked a little bit about it, but he, he certainly didn't. It was it's sort of, I think, thought of as sort of an ill-considered letter. And the governor, by no means, was on board with it. Yeah, it was the word that came to, <clears throat> excuse me, the word that came to mind when I heard it was, was audacious. But uh, yeah. that's my personal reaction. Um, and then uh, 
also uh, that was uh, that was I think the first uh, volley, so to speak, from uh, the state and local sector. And then on the 14th, which is the same day as Senator Harmon's letter, you had the U.S. Conference of Mayors and the National League of Cities asking for direct federal aid of 250 billion. And a week later, on the 21st, the National Governors Association asked for 500 billion for states and territories. And then I think it was on the 23rd that uh, Senator McConnell made his comments. So I think it was a uh, uh, it was a series of events that that prompted his uh, his comments. Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of negotiating, um, a lot of you know heavy lobbying, and in D.C. and requests for position. And a lot of people, I think, considered McConnell's comments to be sort of a negotiating position, you know, putting down a marker, so to speak. Maybe Harmon was, too. But McConnell sort of putting down a marker, saying, I'm not going to be in favor of this. In fact, you guys can even declare bankruptcy before I'm going to do it. But I have to say that even though, you know, a lot of people thought that, and it was it's probably true, we also did see investors react Um Illinois spreads, which are already at an astonishing almost 400 basis points over the AAA, um, went up about 10 basis points after the comments. They, so they went up from like 381 to 391. And we saw New Jersey spreads go up too. So, I mean, the market was kind of weak last week. That was part of it. But, you know, MMD sort of attributed that to McConnell's comments. So we did see market reaction from that. One of the things uh, I found most interesting in your article, Caitlin, were the comments from some of the attorneys you spoke with about uh, some of the problems that would that will or would ensue uh, if McConnell's idea uh, proceeded. Uh, would you Would you want to talk about those those lawyers' comments? Sure. Well, there'd be you know there'd be big kind of people think that there would be you know constitutional problems um, with allowing states to declare bankruptcy, namely violation of the 10th, the 10th Amendment, and um, f that would, you know, have a state allow, you know, being able to kind of submit to federal oversight. But a lot of the attorneys kind of solved that problem, quote unquote, by saying that if a state voluntarily did it, then it would be okay. There was also the legal problem of um, violating the constitutional ban on parent contracts that would kind of continue to be a problem and also would probably spark a lot of litigation. There's questions over the consent mechanism, who's allowed to do it. Is a governor allowed to say, I want to take my state into bankruptcy? It, would it have to be the General Assembly? Would it be a vote of the people and referendum? So the consent mechanism is also considered sort of a puzzle and li a likely sort of area of litigation that would spark litigation. I mean, you have a lot of parties here with a lot of standing that would be able to say, we don't want to do this. Um, so that was sort of on the legal side. And then there's also the questions around what is an estate? You know, what is a state's estate? What does it consist of? And what about local governments? Um, so there's a lot of legal questions around it, but then on the po political side, that's where they think that's where a lot of the attorneys thought the heavy lift would be. In particular, you know, a lot of these states like Illinois and New Jersey that McConnell might have been referring to and, and the president has been tweeting about it, their big kind of burden is pension and health care retirement obligations. It's not necessarily bond debt. And we've seen with other cities that have gone into Chapter 9, they've really been unwilling to touch those pension um, 
obligations or at least too much. So that would be that's sort of a political question that would likely even if, you know, even if Congress sort of figured out a constitutional way to allow it, that political problem would still remain. So that was sort of what they were saying. In all, in all of our news and research that we've done, it's been pretty clear that uh, maybe pensioners haven't come out of bankruptcies unscathed, but they tend to be treated better than, much better than bondholders. Uh, I'm not, I'm not judging whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's that's the way it is. Um, the and the uh, the most recent case being what happened in Puerto Rico. What well, what is still happening in Puerto Rico, uh, where People, well, I'll speak for myself. I thought that it would be a relatively clean and relatively quick process, but here we are um, three and a half years into it, and uh, and it's it's been pretty messy and it's caused a lot of political rancor. And Puerto Rico is, is I don't think, in any better economic shape now than it was uh, in uh, July of 16 when the uh, legislation creating the the uh, Financial Oversight and Management board, board in Puerto Rico was created. Now, they had the hurricane there, too. Uh, the big hurricane, I think they may have had one more, and they had an earthquake. So um, not to lay this all at the feet of any one uh, group of individuals or, or political dynamic, but uh, the fact remains that uh, I don't think anyone would say that Puerto Rico is in better shape now than they were on July 1st of sixteen. Yeah, I heard that from a lot of attorneys, too, saying that, well, we now have this, you know, sort of they wouldn't it's not even a template for state bankruptcy um, because it is pro-Mason. It's just for Puerto Rico, but sort of some type of model, but it's not no type of model that anybody would want to use. And I know that um, when the lawmakers were debating, when Congress was debating at a lot of the Republican opposition in the Senate came from people who were questioning whether or not it was going to allow states like Illinois to declare bankruptcy. So you saw that political opposition, even with PROMESA, which didn't even apply. So you can imagine that that political opposition would, you know, still be there today if they tried to pass a law. Yeah. And the political process within bankruptcy, I mean, theoretically, maybe, I guess it would be in the, in the courts, but you can't escape the politics of the situation. It would be, when you think of all the parties involved, between uh, public employees and um, local governments, um, recipients of state aid, uh, hospitals that get Medicaid money, uh, it's I, I hate to contemplate um, what it would what it would look like. Yeah, very political. I mean, we saw that in Detroit. It was a political process from the beginning to the end. And even when federal judges, like in California, said you can cut pensions you know, the way chapter nine works and you would imagine a state bankruptcy would work the same way. They have the, the, the government has the final say. And um, so very political in many ways. I mean, you know, with the pensions, but also, you know, sort of in, as all those groups you mentioned as well. Yeah. And on the, uh, on the federal side of things, um, McConnell is up for reelection this November. I'm not, I don't know what the status of that race is, whether he's likely to win or likely to lose. But, uh, you know, the first job of a, of a politician, as it said, is, is to uh, be reelected. And not only is he up for reelection, but uh, one third of the Senate is. And uh, 
he wants to make sure, as majority leader, he wants to make sure that uh, his party maintains its control of the Senate, which is currently at 53-47. So that, that has to enter into his calculus as well in some way. Yeah, I saw, I read something saying that, you know, the Democrats are probably going to be running commercials using his comments on state bankruptcy against him because they think it wouldn't be popular. Because, Greg, I know you guys have written about Kentucky's pension plans. Yeah, they have, of, of, all, the, of all the state pension plans in the country, they have what I think is the worst funded plan. It's only 13.4% funded which is incredibly low. I, I just can't, it's easy for me to say because I don't run the state, but it just seems incredible that it's, that, it's, that it's that low. And that translates into direct pain for the local governments, which see these giant contribution rates um, higher than any place else in the country in terms of percentage of payroll. So it's a real issue in Kentucky. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, uh... There, there's pain regardless of what's going to happen. If, if you keep funding the pensions at the current level, um, you've got to hit localities more uh, and or the, the not-for-profits, and uh, which, which eventually, it's a, it's a burden on the state economy when you get right down to it. One way or the other, it's a burden on the state economy. Uh, but if you reduce pensions, then um, it's going to hurt the pensioners and create a political firestorm. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see going forward, I guess, what, what we're, and we're probably going to start to see it next week. I think that, um, that the Senate's coming back on the 4th on Monday, May 4th, May is starting next week. It seems like April lasted forever. Already. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see what, how this all plays out in terms of the type and the size and the amount of federal aid that ends up going to, you know, cause the states and the locals are really on the front line for this pandemic, providing the services and taking these revenue hits. So it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening. What's interesting is there's been a lot of talk about, uh, will the feds um, put conditions on the, on the aid? Uh, for instance, will they, would they require a given state, <laughs> Illinois, to, <laughs> Let's just start saying Illinois. <laughs> to, uh, to, to put new employees on um, 401k type plans into uh, and to end, end enrollment for existing pension plans, uh, that kind of thing. I, I personally, I think that the feds will probably come across with some money. Uh, it won't be nearly as much as the states and localities want. Uh, it'll to a, to it will to a degree replace some lost tax revenues, but it won't replace 100% of them. I don't think it's going to replace 50% of them. I think you're probably looking more at I don't know somewhere less than 50. That leaves me a lot of room, I guess. I'll say um, a third of state revenues and local revenues might be replaced. That's assuming that that cost is not astronomical. I have no idea what that would come out to. Um, if it's if it's really that high, then uh, I think the state's locality is going to be looking at it even less. Well, one interesting uh, kind of you know possibility is uh, so I was talking to Cook County last week. Both Cook County and Chicago got their money under the CARES the the CARES Act, which is the 
first one or I guess the second one. And so, for example, Cook County got four twenty nine million. I think Chicago got four seventy nine million and Cook County has spent they estimate about 100 million so far on direct coronavirus related expenses. The CARES Act only allows that money to be used for direct coronavirus expenses, not for lost revenue. But I know that county, through the National Association of Counties, is lobbying hard to allow that remainder money, which they would otherwise have to send back at the end of their fiscal year, to use that to replace lost revenue. And it sounds like it's still a possibility. So we might see some kind of going back and amending the CARES Act and allowing that leftover dollars that they've already sent out if a government didn't use it for direct um, for direct expenses to be used to replace lost revenue. Very interesting. So, Greg and Caitlin, any last thoughts about um, this whole bankruptcy uh, comments by the senator? Well, it remains a long shot. It rattled the markets, but it remains a long shot. But it certainly sparked a conversation, and you see it have some legs because a lot of people are talking about it now. A lot of people are weighing in on it, so it sort of put down uh, – McConnell successfully, I think, put down sort of a marker in the conversation. Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing that was that was his intent. I, especially uh, given the fact that the federal government is dealing with so many different things right now, that I don't know if they have this. Uh, I don't know if Congress would have the stomach to get into this kind of um, change to the bankruptcy code, especially given that it would probably cause a reopening of the whole bankruptcy code. And that would be another political situation that I think would be very messy. So I, I think the idea is, is probably um, not going anywhere, but uh, as, as Caitlin mentioned, it has uh, started a, a lot of kind of a lot. It's brought the muni market a lot of attention to say the least. Mm-hmm. That it, 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 indeed it did. But uh, we're out of time. So, Kaylin and Greg, thank you so much for your thoughts, your work today, and hope you two are staying safe. Thanks, Young. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thank you to our participants, Kathy O'Donnell, Kaylin Devitt, and Greg Clark. And thanks to our producer, Anthony Phillips. But most of all, as always, thanks to our listeners for tuning in week after week. Uh, hopefully you'll stay safe out there, stay sane, and catch us next time on the Muni Lowdown for the latest on distressed Muni debt. Say so long, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.